This is Parsha Panorama, and this week's Parsha is Parsha Shmini. Feels like it's been a while because it has been. We had the Pesach break, and now we are back into our regular routine. And the goal, as always, is to try to figure out what exactly is the whole of Parsha Shmini about, beyond just being the sum of its parts. What are the parts that make up Shmini, and where exactly is Shmini on the map of the Torah? One of the things that we also have to discuss is how we mentioned in the previous podcasts for Sefer Vayikra that the Torah has largely abandoned narrative and it's mostly focusing on just laws. But apparently, it's not just all laws because we have at least one singular narrative here in Parsha Shmini. We have to figure out what that narrative in Shemini, which is a very famous narrative, um, it's one of the only two actual narratives in the entire Sefer Vayikra, the other narrative which appears in the very end of Parshas Emor, which in its own right seems to be out of place, and it's not entirely clear how that narrative speaks to the purpose of Sefer Vayikra, but we'll leave that for Parshas Emor. What I want us to try to figure out is what is the significance and what is the, the role of the narrative in Parsha Shmini to not just the Parsha, but as we'll see, to the Sefer at large, the entire Sefer Vayikra. Um, so what, what does that story do for us? So we'll talk about all of that very soon. And all the other interesting aspects of Parsha Shmini, like the, the laws of Kashrus and other such laws that just seem to come out of nowhere in our Parsha, all of that coming soon. Let's just first acknowledge our sponsors. Firstly, we have Liule Nishmas, Shmuel Menachem Ben Aryeh and Leah Bas Abraham. Thank you to the anonymous sponsor for sponsoring quite generously. And of course, to Yona and Chani Laster on their second sponsorship for also multiple podcasts. Um, very generous sponsorship. Anyone else who wants to sponsor, just reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. And for whatever dedication, for the point of the Harbatzis Torah, the purpose of our Torah learning, and all the things that we do here on this on this um, sheer podcast, so you can make your sponsorship donation today. Okay, so let's go into Parsha Shemini. What, in fact, is the Parsha about? It's really not so clear, because... We start off, um, apparently, with um, the story of what happened on the eighth day of the inauguration. So that starting point is not, is not so crazy. It's not out of the blue. Because if you look back only one Parsha ago, though it feels like it's been a while, because again, it has been, the Parsha Tzav began discussing the Yemei Milun, the inauguration process of the Mishkan and the Kohanim. And all of that took place over the span of Seven days. And now, here we are by Yom HaShmini. This is the eighth day. So, if you think about it, Shmini, the narrative that takes place in Shmini itself, is not really out of left field. Because it's really coming off of Parsha Tzav, which even though we mentioned the last time, is not much of a narrative, but in a certain sense it is a narrative. It describes a bunch of laws, it describes a procedure, but this procedure was first described in Parsha Tzavah in command form, and now in Parsha Tzav, it happened in real time. And in that Parsha, although a lot of it was very technical, it was a lot of rituals that were happening, but it was happening in the form of a narrative. 
And so Vayikra gave us the beginning, the general laws of Karbanos. It introduced us to Karbanos. And, and last Parsha, in Parsha Tzav, we spoke about how the Torah then decided to elaborate on how Karbanos are offered, not just the general concept of the Karbanos, but the procedure. What was the role of the Kohanim? How did it actually look when Karbanos were offered? What's the halachic way to do it? The Torah Ha'ola, right? The actual procession. So what do all the Karbanos look like? So that was Parshas Tzav. And then the very end, we are now at the, the eighth day, that fateful eighth day of the Yimei Miluim and the dedication of the Mishkan. So that was the day where we know Nadav and Avihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron Cohen, they um, initiated an unauthorized offering. They brought, a, um, I guess, a ketores, uh, some kind of fire offering, which the Torah describes as an Eshizara. And so much we mentioned in Muslim minutes has been written on this topic. They were apparently very holy individuals, but at the same time they did the wrong thing. And what exactly was the underlying aspect of what they had done wrong. So that is discussed in the Gemara and the Midrashim and by commentators from, you know, from, you know, with commentators that we can be, be discussing from today until tomorrow. Um, there's just so much to be said. But then from that point, which is seemingly the obvious um, climax of the Parsha, the Chomish somehow veers off into a bunch of law topics that seemingly have no connection to the rest of the Parsha. So that, that, that brings us to the question that we always ask is what, what is going on in our Parsha? What, what is this Parsha really a Parsha about? And I'm going to argue what is the entire rest of Sefer Vayikra really about? Or really what is the entirety of Sefer Vayikra about? We're going to learn a lot about the entirety of Sefer Vayikra from this single story of Nadav and Avihu. So before we do that, let's actually get all the components of the Parsha, of which I have five. So section number one, we have the eighth day of the Miluim. This is where Moshe Rabbeinu um, is given instructions by Hashem for the Karbonos that have to be offered on this special ceremonious and momentous eighth day. We have the actual offering and the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. And then we have the aftermath, which includes the laws of bereft Kohanim. What do Kohanim do when they're in a state of mourning? How does that affect what they do in the Mishkan in terms of their offerings. So all of that is the first section, everything that took place on the eighth day of the Miluim. Okay? Then, section number two, Hashem issues a command to Aaron Akohen, at least this is how it's described in the Chumash, and this is a command relating to the consumption or the drinking, the imbibing of intoxicants in the Ohel Mohed. Well, I'm going in to do the Avoda, that you are not allowed to drink Alcohol. This, of course, is one of the explanations of the sin of Nadav and Avihu, that they went in either intoxicated or having drunk um, wine. And, of course, this is, not, um, this is not universally accepted, that this is what Nadav and Avihu did. There are a bunch of different explanations as to what they had done wrong. And so it begs the question whether or not this is what they did. Right? So I guess if this is what they had done, it makes sense that Hashem would... would Tell our own, you know, by the way, here's the, here's the right way to do it. But let's say this wasn't what they had done. Let's say no one drank any wine. So why is this the time and place for Hashem to issue this command and instruction to our own? All right, so, you know, we, we, we can talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's um, appeasement of our own and his um, 
reassurance to Aaron that Nadav and Aviyah were very holy. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to admit that Nadav and Aviyah were on such a high level. But why is Hashem talking about this now? Um, this is the very next topic. So what does that have to do with anything? So then there's that. Then we have a small episode where Moshe Rabbeinu is rebuking Elazar and Isamar. Um, Elazar and Isamar are Aaron's remaining sons, and he rebukes them for not consuming their karbanos, despite their aninos, or their state of mourning. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu is apparently of the opinion that they were supposed to consume their karbanos, and we find out that Aaron actually authorized his sons not, do, not to eat the food. And for halachic reasons that Aaron apparently understood that Moshe did not, and Aaron... Um, corrects Moshe, and Moshe admits to not having known what the halacha was in that case. So we have that episode, which is obviously, obviously is relevant to everything that's happening so far. But then in section four, we get up to kashras. We learn the kosher signs, or the dietary laws, the kosher signs for domesticated animals. We have the four animals that are, that have only one sign, and the Chumash decides to highlight them, from the camel, to the boar, to the Hyrax and um, the Arneves. So we so, um, we have the, the the rabbit. So we have like a, I guess a pig, a rabbit, a camel, and and a Hyrax. So the, these are what what what's highlighted, and then we talk about the fish and this the fins and the scales and the birds and all the you know, the different kinds of birds. And then from there, the Chumash veers off to section, what I have is section 5, which is the laws of Tum and Tahara, starting with the laws of Shratzim. And the question is, how did we get here? We're talking about what you can eat, what you can't eat. How is that relevant to anything? It's interesting is that Hashem issues this command both to Moshe and to Aaron, which makes it, you know, like this Parsha, you know, Aaron is, you know, basically in every scene. Um, even though the, this is only laws, but in each speech, Aaron seems to be somehow involved, which seems to be a means for some sort of connection, but at first glance, there seems to be no connection. So what exactly is happening? So that, that's, that's really what we have to address. Before we get to the fuller picture and what is contributed to Sefer Vayikra at large by the story of Nadav and Avihu, and what we'll argue maybe is even the Torah at large. Before we get to that, I want to first um, take this moment to read a Pasuk that, in a certain sense, seems to be, if anything, the connector of topics. Because we, we were wondering, again, how in the world did we get to dietary laws from the story of Nadav and Avihu? So there's one little passage that seems to be the link in the chain. And we have to try to understand this link in the chain, because as we know, a chain in general is only as strong as its weakest link. And this link over here, you know, you can make what you want of it, but at first glance, we might have argued that it's pretty weak. But at the very least, if, we're, if we read the passage carefully, it'll become clear that this is in fact the link. This is the thread that everything hangs on. Right, because after, after Hashem uh, commands, um, after, yes, after Hashem commands. Oh, sorry, I just found the pasuk. But when Hashem commands Aaron regarding not drinking intoxicants, so He says, "Yain v'sheichar al teisht atov v'necha itach b'vachem v'lo moed v'lo samusu hu kasa l'madar seichem." Okay, He says, "I'm giving you a chok, 
interestingly enough, that you cannot drink any wine. Right, a chok is it's interesting that he mentions a chok because this uh, um, a chok is usually a law that we can't understand. If I would ask you why you can't drink intoxicants when you go into the Beis Hamikdash or into the Mishkan, we probably would have said, "Yeah, I, I, I know the reason for that. It's obvious because it's disrespectful. You're going to mess up the avoda." I, you know, come up with a bunch of answers to that question. Anyway, then Hashem says as follows. So it's a it's a it's a, an eternal chok. This is also to to differentiate between that which is holy and mundane. And that which is impure and that which is pure. And also in order to instruct and to teach the, the B'nai Israel all of the Chukim. That which Hashem commands, um, or that which Hashem speaks to them through the hands of Moshe. So we have a few things highlighted in, in this little passage. Um, and that is, again, the, the idea of this being a Chok some, somehow that you can't drink antioxidant when you go into the Olamoid, and that it's somehow going to teach us about the difference between holy and mundane. Okay, maybe, you know, being drunk is a mundane activity, and, you know, doing holy things, being in the Mikdash, okay, we can understand there's a difference, and you got to know where the divider line is. Then all of a sudden he goes into Tuma and Tahara, the difference between Tuma and Tahara, like what? I mean, is there anything impure? Is, is there anything um, ritually impure about wine those those two things don't seem so connected but this apparently is what links the story of Nadav and Avihu and the entire I guess beginning of Vayikra maybe to the rest of not just this Parsha but we'll see to next week's Parsha as well because what happens when we get to the laws of Kashras what is the hallmark of the laws of Kashras when we talk about an animal that you can eat versus an animal that you can't eat how does the Torah describe that the Torah describes the animals that you can eat as tahor and the animals that you cannot eat as tame. And there are halachic ramifications to this, besides for whether or not you're allowed to eat the animal, but whether or not the animal contracts tuma. What levels of tuma does it contract? And the Torah is going to segue from the rules of tame animals to tumas shratzim, the laws of of the impurity of different kinds of rodents and reptiles and creeping, crawling creatures. And what's going to be next week's Parsha, if you think about it? So, as we're going to see, after Shemini is Tazria. And without getting into the specifics of what Tazria is, we know that Tazria is going to continue its elaboration on the topic of, you've guessed it, Tama and Tahara. Now, something that I want you to think about is that Parshas Achremos. Why are we jumping so far ahead? Well, there's going to be Shemini, Tazriya, Mitzorah, then Achremos. So Achremos, we know, is named after the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. Right? It was Achremos after the deaths of Aaron's two sons. Now, if things were going in order, we would have expected that to be the Parsha after Parsha Shemini. If you're going to somehow connect the conversation about our own sons to whatever it is you're about to talk about, that should be recorded right next to that topic, right? The, the topic of the death of our own sons. Now, what Parshas Achremos has to do with the death of Nadav and Avihu, that's something that you'll have to wait a few weeks for. But what it at least seems to demonstrate 
is that that's, you know, coming back to the subject of Nadav and Avihu, which makes it seem like in a certain sense we have, until that point, we've veered away from that subject. But maybe we haven't. Maybe you might have forgotten that that's what we were talking about, but maybe everything that we are seeing in Parsha Shemini until we get to Achrei Moses is apparently part of the conversation. And the question is, what is that a conversation about? What does all of the rest of Shemini and the rest of Vayikra at least until Parsha Zacharimos, maybe even past that, what does that have to do with Nadav and Avihu? And again, what does Nadav and Avihu have to do with the larger scope of, of Sefer Vayikra and the Torah at large? Okay, so here's where we have to recalculate and, um, I guess, restore our post um, in terms of what is happening in Sefer Vayikra. And what is happening in the Torah at large? All right, we spoke about in the beginning of the Sefer Vayikra that Hashem is waiting in the Mishkan, right? The end of Sefer Shemos, Hashem is waiting in the Mishkan, and Moshe can't answer, can't enter until he receives the invitation from Hashem. Then Vayikra, Hashem calls out and he says, Moshe, here are the laws of Karbanos. Now, what is this all about? So, as we mentioned, the Mishkan was the restoration of our, of our status and our stature, our spiritual stature, returning to our former glory. And that, um, that regaining of our spiritual standing was not just, you know, a, one, you know, a one-time event of, yeah, we did, you know, we, we did Navera, then we did Shuva. But if we remember the whole process, the whole beginning, the whole panoramic view of the Torah, where Hashem, created the entire world with the purpose in mind of bestowing upon man the ultimate good. And even though man failed for generations, Hashem decided to focus on one man who will create a nation. Through them, the entire world can be blessed. And that became Klal Yisrael. But when Klal Yisrael had to you know, enter their proving ground, go through Mitzrayim, get out of Mitzrayim, then accept the Torah and and regain the spiritual level that mankind had in Gan Eden. But then man, you know, you know, Klal Yisrael dropped the ball and Moshe Rabbeinu dropped the Luchos. And when that happened, we needed to come back because coming back meant reaching the point where we can serve Hashem again, reaching the points that we can earn the ultimate good that Hashem created this world for. And that earning that requires a life of Yiras Hashem, Avodas Hashem. And that, and, you know, th- that, that's a big responsibility. And part of that responsibility is knowing how to engage with Hashem, which is a very scary and lofty, frightening thing if you think about it, because how exactly do you engage with Hashem? Adam HaRishon lived next to Hashem in Gan Eden, and he froze up, and he messed up. And how are we not expected to do the same especially when you saw what happened at Harsinai and then the golden calf. So then what? And that's where Sefer Vayikra comes in. Sefer Vayikra, Hashem says, Moshe, you can come in. Here's the laws of Karbanos. You want to come close to me? That's what your tafkid is anyway, as a member of mankind, as a member of Klai Israel. I'm going to teach you, and you should teach all of them how they can get close to me. And so Hashem proceeded to teach the laws of Karbanos. And after teaching the laws of Karbanos, or at least the concepts of Karbanos, we had Parshas Tzav, where the Mishkan was being dedicated finally. We were learning the specifics of how to bring the Karbanos. And not anyone can just come close. You know, you've got to be a Kohen. 
So we learn about the division, spiritual hierarchy of different individuals, right? Well, we've spoken in the past about the different levels. You have a Kohanim, you have a Levium, Yisraelim, and even even you know and even after that, there's a, there's a hierarchy. But it's a very sensitive matter, and therefore it has very sensitive laws. And where there are sensitive laws, you know, there need to be boundaries. Just like at Har Sinai, there were boundaries. And where there are boundaries, sometimes there are individuals who cross the boundaries, maybe out of enthusiasm, maybe out of a desire to get close. Because right? on the one hand, we see Moshe Rabbeinu, who he freezes at the entrance of the Mishkan, the entrance of the Olam Oed. He's waiting. But there were two individuals that could not wait. And maybe in a certain sense, this speaks to what we spoke about in Muslim minutes, how Moshe Rabbeinu seems to admit that Nadav and Avihu were literally the Krovim, the closest two individuals in this world to Hashem. So close were they that maybe they were too close. Their Ahava for Hashem was overwhelming. And unlike Moshe Rabbeinu, Nadav and Avihu would not wait on the outside looking in, but they were going to go in. And while we could argue that this is commendable, and I think Moshe Rabbeinu does put that argument out there. But Moshe Rabbeinu's caution, his understanding of, of, what, of what it means to come close to Hashem was the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu lived and Nadav and Avihu did not, and why Aaron lived. Right? Whether Nadav and Avihu's sin was that they poskened in front of their Rebbeim, whether it was that they weren't married or that they didn't have children or that they were drunk, whatever it was, the point is that Nadav and Avihu did not grasp the sensitivity of the circumstance, of what does it mean, what does it mean to be an Eved Hashem, to engage in Avodah Hashem, and to do so in real-life holy places where there are real ramifications, where halacha has, has a certain will, and to go across the boundary line um, means to disobey the will of God. And even in the endeavor of getting close to Him, you can get too close and you can, you can go in the opposite direction of Ratzon Hashem, ironically. So that's what this parsha is a parsha about, and that's really what you know, really Vayikra is about. Vayikra is about the right way to come close to Hashem. Once you've reached the level, once you've become Hashem's nation, once you're back at the level of Adam Arishon, restored to your former spiritual glory, as the Ramban puts it, not not necessarily in, in in that version of the English language, but in a certain sense, that's how the Ramban puts it. So then what? So I'll tell you what not to do, says the Torah. Don't do another Benaviyu. That's a mistake. Now, were another Benaviyu drunk? Were they not drunk? That's, that's a debate. But what the Torah tells us at this point is there's a right and wrong way to do things. And the only way to succeed is to submit and subject yourself to the higher will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is something that a lot of the time we cannot figure out on our own. And we might think we can figure it out. Sometimes we think we know intuitively, right? Sometimes we have intuition, right? We, we know how to serve Hashem because it comes from our heart. We know in our heart that this is the right thing. Maybe we know because we have instincts of moral or just other kinds of intuition, but sometimes we just think we know. And by the way, there are times where we do know. Sometimes our intuition can lead us in the right direction. There are times where it can do that. Sometimes we intuitively know what's right and what's wrong. But to just rely on that is scary. It's interesting because in Perkei Avos, where the Mishnah says, 
So you look at Rashi on that Mishnah, and he says, yeah, he says, means don't just act out on, on Svara, but you should act mipi rav, mipi shmua, from tradition, from what, what your rav is instructing you. Because there are a lot of times where we don't know, and we think we know, because our instincts always tell us what, what we should be doing. And sometimes, guess what? Our instincts are wrong. Sometimes we are just biased, whether by culture, whether by nature, whatever it is. But we're biased and we don't always know. Sometimes our vision is skewed. And I think that's the symbol of the not drinking intoxicants when you go in to do the avoda. Even if you're only going to drink a little bit, it's not going to affect you. But you know, every little bit affects you. And even if you're going in and you're not drunk, but you're not doing things the right way, meaning the reason not to be in there and drunk is so that you don't have push-up shots, that you don't mess it up. Or you don't mess up the avoda. You don't do the wrong thing. But what does that show you? That when you go in to do the avoda, exactly that. You can't do it the wrong way. Why not? That's the chok. Right? The, the chok is not necessarily that you shouldn't go in drunk. I'm arguing. It's not that you shouldn't go in drunk. That we understand. But what we might not understand is why things have to be a certain way. Why is it just not the thought that counts? Why is it not the heart? The Rahman Aliba Bai, which we spoke about in Muslim Minutes for Vayikra, which is true. Yes, Rahman Aliba Bai. That's one part of it. But there's a misgaris, there's a framework, there's a way to do it right. It's not just, I love Hashem and I'm going to go and do everything I want because it's coming from my heart. That was the mistake of Nadav and Avihu. And in a certain sense, they were drunk, even if they weren't actually um, intoxicated. And that's how we begin to understand that we don't understand Hashem's Torah. We don't understand His Chukim. We don't understand Tuma and Tahara. Right, the perhaps the the, the among the quintessential um, aspects of chukim, we know we know there's the para aduma, which is really one of the bases for the laws of tuma and tahara in the Torah, and of course later we'll get to that to para aduma. But in the meantime, this is the gateway in the Torah to tuma and tahara, which starts from the laws of kashrus, the chukim. Why can't we eat this food, and but we could eat that food? Why can't we just eat whatever we want? Why do some foods cause a timtum halev, a blockage, a spiritual blockage of our hearts that we can't see, and other foods don't have that effect? It's because it's a chok, and we don't understand it. But this is the misgaris, this is the framework for which Hashem chose for us in this world. And if you want to come close to Hashem, Hashem teaches us here in Taras Kohanim, there are a lot of ways not to come close to Hashem. And Tumah and Tahara is one of the important things that Kohanim have to have a fluency in. This is what the Ramban says, um, and Rabbi Avram Goldhar in Zichra, so he has a whole um, elaborate um, seminar where he talks about all the different topics in the Torah, very similar to Parsha Panorama, actually. But he does, it, he does the entire Torah in like an hour. Um, so, yeah, yeah, take a look at that if you could find that. Um, but the point is that he explains what the Ramban explains is that the Kohanim needed a fluency in Tumah and Tahara because you couldn't go into the Mikdash and do an Avodah if you were Tameh. Right? So Tumah and Tahara is not just a matter of, oh, we don't understand Hashem and His Torah. It's true, we don't, and this is an aspect of it. But there's also the practical um, ramifications on engaging in the Avodah and doing the service. We can't see Tumah and Tahara, but guess what? It's there. And if you go in when you are Tameh, then, then you can be Chayav Misa. 
the way to approach God. The sensitivity to the things which maybe we cannot see, but guess what? Hashem cares for details. So we learn about kashras. We learn about tuma and tahara, tumas shratzen. And, of course, next week we have more laws of tuma and tahara. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. But let's understand on the map of the Torah what, where Nadav and Avihu lead us. Repeating sins of Kalah Yisrael in a certain sense. You know, we had the Torah and then an Egel happened. We have the Mishkan and the Nadav and Avihu happened. And the goal, and perhaps in both scenes, was we want to get close to Hashem. But the Egel was the wrong way to do it. The Mishkan would be the right way to do it. Now, Nadav and Avihu would be the wrong way to do it. Then what's the right way to do it? So be patient. Don't be, you know, uh, you know don't be over-enthusiastic in terms of throwing caution into the wind and not being able to approach Hashem the right way because we just couldn't help ourselves. The problem of the ego was the lack of patience. Perhaps the problem of Nadav and Avihu as well was the lack of patience. And maybe this was also the sin of Adam Rishon and Gan Eden as well, a lack of patience. Some say, I think the Zohar says, that Hashem would have ultimately allowed him to eat from the tree. But you know, sin ultimately results from man working by his own designs and not working with the design that Hashem set out. And that's really what Parsha Shemini is about as well. It is about this, this, this tension between what we mentioned in most of minutes, the Ahava and the Yira, the yearning for the Asay Tov, while bearing in mind that there is a Sor Meira, that we, you know, that there's there's a give and take. There is your your yearning to get close. There's the Vigilu Berada. You know, you want to get close, but there is a distance that we have to have a healthy distance. There is a way to approach Hashem, and there's a way not to approach Hashem. And that, 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 once again, is what Parsha Shemini is about. And as Rosh Hashem, next week, when we get to Parsha's Tazria, and Mitzorah, actually, Tazria Mitzorah, this year is going to be a double Parsha. And when we get there, as Rosh Hashem, we will understand a little bit more about the breakdown of the laws of Toma and Tahara. What exactly do those parts of this section of the Torah do in the larger role? In the larger scheme of things. But that's all for next week. In the meantime, you have plenty of ideas to think about now for Parsha Shmini. And we look forward to you revisiting us here at Parsha Panorama and here at the database. Thanks for joining us and have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos.